to Around the Homestead podcast, where we share information on topics from gardens to goats. Our aim is to provide small farmers and landowners valuable education on projects that may arise around the homestead. Whether you have been on the homestead all your life or you have just began the farm lifestyle, we hope you garner helpful tips to make your rural lifestyle most rewarding. Now here are our hosts, Brad McGinley and Sean Rhodes. Hello and welcome to Around the Homestead podcast. I'm your co-host, Brad McGinley, County Extension Agent in Grant County. And today I have uh, my co-host with me, Sean Rhodes, who's a County Extension Agent in Scott County. Today we're going to be covering a little bit about uh, starting a vegetable garden, but uh, First, just want to tell you a little bit about our podcast that we're going to be, hope that you're going to stick around with us. We're going to be covering on Around the Homestead, anything from vegetable gardens to small-scale livestock production, farm pond management, wildlife management on the homestead, and just uh, hopefully we'll give you some tips and tricks that'll make your rural lifestyle more enjoyable, and um, we just hope that you'll, you'll, you'll hang around with us. But as far as starting a vegetable garden, you know, Sean, spring has really sprung around here and uh, everybody's kind of starting to get it on their mind. Absolutely. Yeah, we're starting to see some uh, trees bloom and people's wanting to get those things in the ground and enjoy some fresh vegetables this summer. You betcha. You betcha. And really, when I think about starting a vegetable garden, you have several different options. You know, uh, if you're, you you can do the traditional in-ground garden that we, you know, typically think about that you, like you and I probably had when we were growing up. And then there's other options like a raised bed, uh, straw bale gardening. We'll talk a little bit about that here in a little bit. But in, in terms of just getting a vegetable garden started, let's talk, first off, let's talk about the site selection and how you really uh, need to narrow down where you want to put your vegetable garden at. And so what are some key topics that you think that uh, the home gardener should think about when, when thinking about where to put their vegetable garden? Well, first off, if uh, no matter what gardening you're going to do, what method, uh, you need to think about this light, uh, shade, evening shade, morning shade, a lot of shade. Uh, that's probably the first thing you need to think about because we can't have, uh, just like growing grass in our yard, we, we can't grow a garden under a, a lot of shade. Uh, so most of the time evening shade will, uh, do you some good and, uh, not be so bad but morning shade is usually tried to be avoided, uh, Brad, because you get those fungus problems, uh, you know, with that dew staying on those plants for a long time in the mornings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we typically tell our clientele that they're going to need six to eight hours of, of good full sun, um, uh, would be, would be ideal. Um, you know, uh, like you said, Sean, a little evening shade doesn't hurt uh, things at all, especially to help with uh, sun scald on some of your vegetables and kind of give them some relief, especially that middle of the summer when that sun is pretty, uh, pretty harsh in, uh, in the late in the afternoon. So um, what about, uh, you know, one thing I also think about uh, when you're talking about site selection is uh, the soil type if you're doing a traditional garden. 
you know, in our area, uh, drainage is a, is a really important thing. You know, plants like, they like water, but they don't like to stand in wet feet all the time. So does that area uh, drain well? Does it, you know, we don't want to put those gardens in old crawfishy ground that just don't drain well. Uh, you know, if, if you go outside and you dig a hole there where you're thinking about putting your garden at and you fill it up with water, if it doesn't drain uh, within 24 hours, you're probably not a good place to, to put that garden. Um, what are your thoughts on, uh, on, uh, soil, soil type, Sean? Um, oh, you know, the way our state is over here where I'm at, you run into rocks and kind of where you're at in Eastern, they don't, uh, they don't see rocks in their gardens. I don't guess very much. Uh, so we look at it as a, is it workable ground? Uh, you know, does it have too many rocks? Is it having soil at all? our soil changes within feed here from being, you know, adequately able to grow a garden to uh, probably something you want to just leave alone. And uh, so you need to think about that and test that. And you can do that uh, probably just like with your drainage example there of uh, just go out there and dig your hole and, and see what happens. Uh, we want a loamy, of course, ideal conditions is a loamy sandy type soil. That drains well. Uh, that's for a traditional gardening, of course. When you're going to work the ground with a with a plow or tiller, and tractors or things like that. Uh, yeah, and that brings up another good topic, Sean. Is 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 if you're going to do a traditional garden, um, what kind of equipment do you have, and what kind of equipment do you need to have? Yeah, that is a good question. And if somebody's coming at this, you know, that hasn't done it before and doesn't have the equipment, that is an important thing to think about. Uh, you know, we have uh, a lot of people that uh, garden, you know, with, a, with uh, garden tillers and alone. Uh, sometimes they may hire a neighbor or somebody that has a small tractor to come and break their garden as we call it, or till it with one of those tillers behind a, behind a tractor. And a lot of small homesteads, I, I would imagine would have a small tractor and uh, they may want one of those, uh, tillers that go behind it, uh, that would get your garden ready every year. And that's a, that's an excellent, excellent method. Uh, but there's also some, uh, little bit more higher end type walk behind tractors that have uh, many implements to them. If, uh, if that's the route they want to go and don't want to, uh, per se have a tractor and, uh, or, uh, just a garden tiller to work between the rows. Uh, also, you know, I know some guys still, uh, that I've worked with that uh, pretty well do all their gardening with uh, horses or mules and, uh, like keeping that tradition alive with, uh, you know, mule, mule drawn, uh, equipment. And, uh, so that's kind of, you don't see that much anymore. It was pretty neat to see. And, uh, that is an option too, if you're into that such a thing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. There's all kinds of options out there for equipment. And, uh, I know that we, we, we have a, you know, a tiller that goes behind our tractor and it sure does help getting that ground prepped and, uh, ready for the garden so another um 
factor that we think about whenever we're planting a garden is um, where's your water source? Um, and that's a big deal because water, middle of the summer, Mother Nature is going to turn that water faucet off and uh, we're going to probably have to provide some supplemental water in order for this to be successful. So, you know, we need to think about where your water is going to come from. Yeah, that's very true. Whether you are gardening traditional or with some other methods we'll speak about in a moment, uh, water is going to be necessary. Uh, now, there's quite a bit of early stuff and things that if you're in a traditional gardening ground, you can probably get away without water. Uh, but when you start talking about your tomatoes and peppers and some of that later on through the summer type crops, then you're most likely going to want a water source. And so when you think about where you're going to put your garden, uh, if you could put it closer to the house by the water faucet, you might want to do that compared to a long ways away. Uh, where you don't have the, the water infrastructure in. And, uh, so that is very important. It sure is. Uh, also, you know, how big, how big do you want your garden is another consideration. Um, you know, because, uh, you certainly can grow a lot of, a lot of vegetables in a small area and, uh, but it's easy also to get real excited about it and, and make it too big initially. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what you see more than more than anything is uh, <laughs> they start a little bit big, and uh, like I always say, when you get in July and August and the weather gets very hot and other things are going on, the, the garden starts uh, seeing some neglect, and uh, you know you uh, start seeing some weeds get bigger than your plants. Yeah. Pulling pigweed in the middle of July is not one of my favorite uh, things to do, uh, but uh, unfortunately, it becomes necessary. And uh, mine is uh, looks like it has been neglected about uh, middle of July a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, mine too, because I'm uh, I'm one of those that uh, tends to get a little bit big uh, when maybe I don't need to be with what I've got time to. Uh, gathery of course you know you got to think about this the more you have the more you've got to do something with and uh That's you've true. got to you've got to go out there and pick that stuff and uh and then either give it away or put it up or uh that's uh that takes a lot of a uh, lot of uh, time and energy to uh be planned and prepared to uh put that stuff up and can it and freeze it and things like that yeah so I always tell, you know, any, any client that might come in the office, whether they're starting a garden or maybe a home orchard or getting some cows or goats or something for the first time, let's, let's start small and let's make our mistakes on a small scale, you know, and, uh, and learn from there. Then we expand it out and, and we can always expand in the future. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, if you don't have a site for a traditional garden, you know, maybe you don't have workable ground, maybe you've got rocks, uh, maybe you've got drainage issues, um, or maybe you just prefer to have a raised bed garden. Um, so, you know, uh, raised bed gardens are certainly popular, uh, have become more popular. Um, and 
what are some considerations, Sean, if you want to do a raised bed, what are some things do you, you, you tell your clients to think about? Well, first of all, again, you go back, of course, the water issue, uh, a raised bed is, it's going to require more water than an in-ground garden would. Uh, you've got to consider what you're going to build that bed out of. There's all types of materials from, uh, you know, sawn plank lumber, uh, to composite type boards and things like that. Uh, of course you could use bricks or blocks, uh, definitely get away from the rot with those. Uh, also what they're going to put in it, you know, uh, of course the reason you're using a raised bed is you've got to fill it up with what, uh, your growing media and, uh, you know, what I have seen and I'm sure you have seen is you don't just go dig some dirt over there and put in a raised bed and be very successful with it. It, uh, does require a little bit more of a condition as you might say, or a compost type media to be successful with those Brad. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you just go find some, just some topsoil somewhere and you put it in that raised bed, it's going to become compacted very quickly and you're not going to be very successful with that. We have a pretty good, um, size, uh, school garden here in Sheridan. And um, we have used uh, in our raised beds uh, a mixture of uh, compost uh, that we've got from either the city of Little Rock or the city of Hot Springs. Uh, your local municipality may have a composting facility um, that you can go to and get compost. Um, we've used a, a mixture of compost and some high quality topsoil. Uh, we've mixed that in about a 60 to 40 ratio. Um, and so uh, we like that material because it, it provides a kind of a light, fluffy uh, material. We've even added a little bit of peat moss into there as well um, because it allows those roots to become established and it doesn't get compacted. But it's also not uh, that topsoil does provide some, some kind of um, – uh, it keeps it from uh, when we when we first started. We just used straight compost, and we found that it was almost uh, didn't have a lot of water holding capacity. So it does that topsoil does help hold the water just a little bit better and keep the keep the compost from blowing out. And uh, uh, it just worked out better for us that way. Um, so there's there's a variety of options what you can use in in there uh, you know your local farm store uh, or uh, may have uh, may have bag compost that you can you can purchase as well um, those are the some of the things that we have used uh, in our area that we've been successful with right one note on that is also you're right <clears throat> a lot of these uh, larger towns and cities do have uh, compost available i know fort smith uh, has a, a lot they do a big compost program up there and uh, also we are in the process right now of filling some raised beds at a boys and girls club garden project and uh, we have been getting a couple loads of compost from a uh, local landscape company that has their own compost or are buying it and bringing it in in bulk. And that's uh, correct. Yeah, we've done that, that too. That is working real well. Cause we're doing a pretty much what you said. We're going with a, 
we're filling those about 60% and then we're going to take a bag topsoil and uh, mix that in to finish it all. Yeah, that works out real well. You know, Sean, this brings up another topic. Um, a lot of times we see people that want to put manure in their gardens, uh, whether it be a raised bed or just apply manure to a traditional garden. Um, and um, that does, while manure is great and wonderful and it does provide some, certainly some fertilizer, some organic matter to the soil, there are some challenges and some, some things we need to think about when we, when we go to apply manure. Yeah. Yeah. If, uh, if your media contains any type of uh, manure in it, uh, you need to pay special attention and make sure that you are confident, you know, the history of that manure and by the history of the manure, I mean, was the hay that was fed to the animals that produced that manure and, or the, uh, pastures that, that, animal was grazing upon had ever been sprayed with a herbicide, a certain, certain herbicides. And if it has, then you need to probably shy away from it, from using that product in your compost or in your raised beds, because what can happen is we have a little bit of herbicide carryover that goes through the passes through the animal in the manure and can affect some sensitive crops like tomatoes and peppers and things in your, in your garden later on. Uh, and that's even if it was last year's manure, Brad, uh, it doesn't really matter. So we, we got to be careful with that. Yeah, we do have to be real careful with that. You know, we see this every year, um, where we have clients that'll bring particularly tomatoes is what you see it on most of the time for me. They'll bring, uh, they'll call with some issues they're having with their tomatoes and, and uh, what happens is, is that animal consumes that hay or that forage and it passes right through the animal out into the manure. And, um, and that residual causes uh, herbicide damage. And, um, you know, if, if you take that manure and you till it into your garden, boy, it's there for a while and you've got a real issue. So just be cautious about your manure source and know where it comes from and ask those questions uh, before you use it. Uh, yeah, you know, Brad, that, uh, <laughs> I have seen that for several years now, every year I get these questions and always, uh, always sometimes get a little bit tickled about you never, uh, you never can get a homeowner or a gardener to admit they've done something to themselves. Usually when it <laughs> comes to this manure herbicide carryover or, uh, overspray with some glyphosate, you know, uh, yeah that, uh, <laughs> when those tomatoes are all knotted up and look like shoestrings, I think some bugs got to be doing that, you know, yeah. and, uh, they yeah. can't, can't get that through sometimes, but it's definitely what it is. And unfortunately there's not a great solution to it once you do it, but to just keep it, uh, tilled up and let the rainfall take care of it over time. Yeah, it is. And, uh, yeah, I've seen the same thing, uh, wives have brought it in and they had to go back and consult with their husbands and see uh -huh. what they've been spraying around, you know, how that goes. Uh, but yeah, uh, it certainly, and I think, you know, tomatoes are so sensitive. If I tell people, you know, you could walk by a tomato with a closed jar, two, four day, and it'll just wilt up overnight, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. 
they're sensitive to it. So, so just something you need to think about before you use manure for sure. You know, Sean, another uh, way of gardening that's kind of become popular in the past uh, several years is these uh, straw bale gardens, and uh, they look pretty interesting. I've never had a lot of experience with those, but uh, maybe something for people that uh, that certainly may not have an opportunity for an in-ground garden, and maybe they don't have the tools or materials or know how to build a raised bed, but uh, they may be able to use straw bales as a garden. Yeah, absolutely. You know, somebody at a, on a patio in the back of a their house or apartment, I could imagine, could use a straw bale uh, to make uh, to grow some plants in. Uh, I do recommend if you want to do that, do a little searching and find a fact sheet or two. I know there's one in uh, Washington State and Clemson has a good one about these straw bales because there is a procedure you need to go through uh, to uh, condition these bales, as they call it, with fertilizer and water. And uh, you let these bales go through somewhat of a, a heating process and uh, before you're ready to actually just go to planting in them. You don't just grab a straw bale and uh, cut a hole in it and plant plant in it you do have a little bit of a process you go through but other than that as long as you got a place to put that bale and got a little water uh you can make that happen sure sure and i've seen some a lot of people be successful with that and so uh i think it's certainly an option like i said for people that may be limited on resources but one thing we didn't talk about sean i circle back to raised beds is you know, you don't really have to have a raised bed. You said people with maybe on a patio or an apartment, you certainly can, can garden in containers as well. Yeah, that's right. I thought about that too. When I was talking there with the container gardening is of course, as we know, very popular also, uh, kind of some of the same principles apply to that, that they do the raised bed as far as the median in the barrel goes or in your uh, pot, uh, I would think you'd be using close to the same thing. Uh, water is very important again on that too, because you see most of those that uh, need to be watered daily just because of the uh, small size of the amount of soil you have there around that plant and it does dry out fairly quick. Uh, so water is very important. What I have found on the uh, containers, uh, Sometimes a lot of people do some inconsistent watering with those, and I don't think they're as successful as they could be. Yeah, that's true. And another thing we really hadn't talked about, Sean, but it's very important, particularly when you're starting to think about where to put your garden at, is uh, is soil sampling. We would encourage you to uh, to get a soil sample. Um, soil sampling is is free through your local county extension office. Uh, so wherever you're thinking about putting your garden, uh, we would encourage you to take a soil sample. We'll need about one pint. So uh, go around in the area that you're gonna be uh, placing your garden, uh, get about a sample about four to six inches deep in various spots across there. So we wanna get uh, an average of the whole area. Um, so take some, some subsamples across that area, mix it all together and bring us a one pint sample from that and bring, you can, like, again, you can take it to your, any local county extension office can help you get that. And again, it is absolutely free service and we would highly encourage you to do that before you get started. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's free. So let's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't cost anything but a little labor. So, yeah. Um, so just to review, um, before we uh, get off of here for today, um, if you're going to be starting a vegetable garden, we want to make sure on site selection that you have full sun. Uh, we need to consider where you're going to put your, uh, where your water source is, uh, how big you want your garden and what equipment that you have available. If you're going to be doing a raised bed, really consider about what planting material that you're going to be putting in there. So uh, that about does it for around the homestead podcast for today. We hope that you'll join us at our next episode. We're going to be talking a little bit about soil fertility and some early crops that you can be successful with. So we hope that you'll join us next time on Around the Home Homestead Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Around the Homestead Podcast. To learn more about today's topic, be sure to visit our website at uaex.uada.edu. Be sure to join us next time on Around the Homestead Podcast.